Appreciate so much your presence tonight. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And we're going to be discussing tonight in our study the faith to withstand. How strong is your faith? If somebody were to ask you, rate your faith, how would you rate it? Would you say you have a strong faith? Would you say that you have a weak faith. Is it possible you would say you lack faith? You really never know how strong your faith is until it's been tested. I think about a boxer. A boxer doesn't know whether or not he is able to take a punch until he gets in the ring. Once he gets in the ring, then he can determine whether or not he has a future as a boxer, because you've got to be able to take a punch. When you live the Christian life, one of the things you have to understand is not always going to be, not always going to be roses in life. There are going to be times in life when you're going to have to be able to take a punch. And the question is, when you, when you take a punch, are you going to stay down or will you get up? So tonight we think about the faith to withstand. I want to begin by first of all talking about the blessings of conversion. The book of Romans is a great book. It amplifies the fact that those of us who belong to the human family have a problem called sin. God's way of dealing with sin is Jesus, His Son. And so in Romans chapter 1, his conclusion was the Gentile world, they're under sin. In chapter 2, the Jewish world, they too, they're under sin. In chapter 3, the conclusion was all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so in Romans chapter 5, Paul deals with the blessings of conversion. And then he's going to talk about the burdens of that we face that bring about conflict. And then we're going to talk about the blossoming or budding of confidence. Think with me, if you would, for just a moment or two about the blessings of conversion. There are some things that Paul points out in verses 1 and 2 that we ought to appreciate. First, he talks about the pardon that we have in Christ. Listen to him. Therefore, having been justified by faith. The word justify means to declare righteous. In Romans chapter 3, Paul said, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In verse 24, he said, Being therefore justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Let's think for a minute about God's motivation to save us. Why would God... Be concerned about us. Why would God reach out to those of us in the human family? What was the catalyst? He tells us in verse 6, doesn't he? He said, When we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Look at verse 8. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We talk about the love story of the cross. 
You can't preach the cross without reflecting upon the love of God. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 4, Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Paul would write to the church at Ephesus and say, But God, who is rich in mercy, for the great love wherewith He has loved us. And so God was motivated to save us because of His love. And by the way, we are the products of His creative power, aren't we? And so God has a vested interest in us. We are, we are, as Moses would say, made in His image and in His likeness. And so God is interested in all of us who belong to the human family. But what is God's method of saving us, that is, those of us who belong to the human family? Did God not have a redemptive plan to save us? The answer is yes. So look, if you would, at verse 9. In verse 8, he's talked about how God has demonstrated, manifested his love toward us. In verse 9, he said, much more than having now been justified by his blood. The blood of Christ is what makes it possible for us to enjoy freedom in Christ, isn't it? In other words, we can't be saved separate and apart from the blood. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Jesus, however, went to the cross and shed his blood so that we might enjoy redemption. Peter said that we have been redeemed not with corruptible things like silver and gold, but rather with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. In verse 10, he said, If when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but also we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. When we respond to God in faith and obey the gospel, the Bible tells us that we enjoy redemption and reconciliation. In Romans chapter 6, verse 17, Paul said, But God be thanked that though you were the servants of sin, he said you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine delivered unto you. And being made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. And so it's in Christ that we have pardon, freedom. We enjoy the forgiveness of sins. To know that every sin, whatever sin we have committed in life, has been blotted out. Do you remember when John wrote, the book of Revelation in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. He said, Unto him who loved us and washed us by washed us by his blood, washed us from our sins by his blood. And so we think about the pardon that we have in Christ. And then there's a second thing he points out. He said, We have peace with God. We think about the pardon we have in Christ, and then our peace in Christ. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah, some 750 years before Jesus came to earth, spoke of Christ as the Prince of Peace. When Jesus was born, you remember the angels that sang in chorus to God? And they said, Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill toward man. Jesus came to bring peace to us. In Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, 
Paul said, speaking of Christ, for he is our peace, who has made both one and broken down the middle wall of partition, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that he might make of the two one new man, listen to him, so making peace. He's reconciled us in one body unto God through the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And then Paul said, and he came and preached peace to us. And so to know that we have, as Paul would say, the peace that passes all understanding. Third thing he points out, and that is our position in Christ. Look at verse 2. We've been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace. Did you know that Jesus Christ is the one that has made it possible for us to access a relationship with God the Father? Do you remember Jesus in John 14, verse 6, when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Think about those of us who belong to the human family. When man sinned in the garden, what happened? There was estrangement. There was a wedge driven between us and deity. So when Jesus came, what did he come to do? To reconcile us, to bring us together. In other words, Jesus stood in the middle. He functions as our mediator, 1 Timothy chapter 2. He functions as our intercessor. So here's man on one hand, here's God on the other. And here's Jesus at the cross. And Jesus has the ability to take the two parties and bring them together. And so in Christ, we have access to God. And I would point this out as well. Not only do we have access when we obey the gospel, but we have continued access to God through the privilege of prayer, don't we? Do you remember the writer in Hebrews said, Let us therefore draw boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need? What the writer is saying is that as a child of God, you have, I have access to God. I can go before His throne and lay my petitions before Him with the expectation that He'll do what? That He'll come to my aid. And so we have access by faith into this grace, and then He said, in which we stand. That's assurance. The word stand here really carries with it the idea of that which is firm and sure. How firm, how sure, how confident are you in your salvation? In the relationship that you sustain or that you have with the Lord? Do you have, do you have a sense of confidence about that relationship? Listen to Paul when he wrote to Timothy, he said, For I know whom I have believed. And then he said, And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. So you talk about rock-solid faith, the kind of faith that enables us to withstand. Well, that's the kind of faith we're hoping to build. And then there is a fourth thing, and that is our praise in Christ. He said, speaking of Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, 
And he said, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Don't you think as Christians we ought to be happy people that we ought to rejoice? That our lives ought to be permeated with a sense of gladness? The joy that we have in Christ is not necessarily controlled by external factors. When Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, he was in a Roman prison cell. And he was chained to a Roman prison guard. They rotated those guards in every four to six hours, seven days a week. And yet here is Paul writing to the church at Philippi, and he's saying, rejoice in the Lord. Again, he said, rejoice. Why would he be why would he be filled with such joy? Well, I think one reason is because his sins had been pardoned, because he was at peace with God, because based on his position with the Lord, he was in good standing. So his life was a life devoted to praise. Now, there's a second thing I want you to see in our study. First, we think about the blessings of conversion. But now, think with me, if you would, about the burdens of conflict that we face. There are a lot of guys on television and even on the radio. They sell a message, that is, they sell a message, quote-unquote, from the gospel. That is a health and wealth message. And really the substance of what they're trying to peddle is this. You become a child of God and all of your troubles, all of your trials, all of your tribulations will just vanish away. Is that true? You buy that? I don't buy it. Why? Because I can look at the lives of some of God's greatest servants. And I see if anything, when they became a child of God, what happened? The difficulties and the heartaches and the adversities that they faced, if, if anything, they were ramped up. And so, think about the conflicts, the burdens that we face. Paul here has basically laid the foundation for somebody who is in Christ. They're a child of God. They belong, they belong to the Lord. And so listen to him in verse 3. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Now, I want you to think about our second point from this vantage point. As a child of God, we talk about the burdens and the conflict that we face. What I really want to emphasize in this point is this. We're trying to build character, aren't we? That, that's really what Paul is saying here. Tribulation, he said, we glory in tribulations knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. You know what he's saying? He's saying tough times build character. Hard for us to admit that. Difficult for us to understand that adversity, trial, tribulation can work in our favor. What, what Paul is saying is the more difficult the circumstance, the greater the trial, the better the character. 
Ask a moment ago, how strong is your faith? We don't really know how strong our faith is until it's tested, do we? Think about that. It's easy to talk about how strong we are as children of God and how faithful we would be when life is great, things are going our way, we're not faced with any type of verbal or physical persecution, we don't have health problems, we don't have financial problems. Look, life is good. But let all of that change. And then the question arises, how strong is your faith? So, there are two possibilities. What Paul is saying is, tribulation produces perseverance. Now listen to him. And perseverance does what? Produces character. So tribulations, conflicts, burdens can help in the building of our character. There are two possibilities. When we face trial, conflict in life, one possibility is these things can cause us to stumble. We can stumble. We can wave the white flag. We can say we've had enough. So, think with me if you would for a moment or two about how some people have allowed conflicts or trials to cause them to stumble. Think about these possibilities. Number one, when we face trial, we could choose to run. You ever known somebody that when they're faced with adversity, when they, when they are in the midst of a storm, what do they do? They run. Let me give you a couple of examples. In Psalm 55, David is talking about a situation in his life when he was literally being tested to the utmost. Somebody very close to him had, as we would say, from time to time, gutted him. And so here's what David said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. Then I would fly away and be at rest. You ever faced such difficulty in life that you thought, you know what, if I, had, if I had the opportunity, I'd just get away from it all. You ever thought like that? That's what David was saying. You remember in 1 Kings chapter 18, when Elijah was confronted with the prophets of Baal, great showdown with King Ahab, 450 prophets of Baal put to death, Chapter 19, King Ahab's wife Jezebel sends word to him. And she says, look, just as you have put the prophets of Baal to death, let me tell you what, you're on my radar. You're going to die. You know what Elijah did? He ran. He fled for his life. Sometimes when we face conflicts, they cause us to stumble. Sometimes we, like David... Elijah, we run. Second possibility, and that is, we could become resentful. Have you ever known somebody that has faced a lot of heartache in life? I mean, they have literally been crushed. Their spirit has been broken. And rather than maintaining their faith and fidelity in God, they become bitter and cynical resentful, 
You remember the, the story of Job? The Bible tells us that Job was an upright man. He feared God. He turned away from evil. Job had life going. God had blessed him immeasurably. And in just a very brief period of time, what happened to Job? He lost ten children. Imagine standing in the cemetery, and there are ten graves, ten caskets. And then think about the immense wealth, all of that gone. And then the Bible says his health, that went too. So how did Job react? Well, the Bible says he didn't sin. But Mrs. Job, you remember her? Chapter 2, about verse 9. Here's what she said to Job. Do you still retain your integrity? Curse God and die. Let me tell you what, that is a cynical, resentful spirit. Now, I've never buried ten children. I've never lost everything that I possess. I know how I ought to react. But this lady resented it. You think about life. Think, think about your own life for a minute. Everything's going great. You have everything you want. Your children are thriving. Things are going well on your job. Just like that, you lose your children. You lose, you lose your wealth. You're bankrupt. And then throw in, you lose your health. How would you react? How would your mate react in circumstances like that? What about, you, what, about, what about your other family members, your friends? Sometimes we run when conflict comes. Sometimes we become resentful when conflict comes. And there's a third possibility. And that is we can recant our faith. I think about Matthew's account of Peter during the trial of Jesus. Do you remember one of those present on that occasion called him out? She said, oh, you were, you were one of those guys with him. And the Bible says he cursed, he cursed, and he swore, and here's what he said, I do not even know the man. What happened? He lost his faith, didn't he? Did Peter know the Lord? Yes, he did. He spent three and a half years with him. The Lord had called him into service from being a fisherman. He's seen all these great miracles. He's heard these marvelous messages from the lips of Jesus, and then in the heat of the hour, what does he say? I don't even know him. Trials can cause you to stumble. Some folks run. Some become resentful, and some recant their faith. It happens. Now, there's another possibility. Rather than causing us to stumble, they can cause us to stand. 
In other words, they can build some character, some fiber. Look again at what, look again at what Paul said. He said, not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. How do you build character? Sometimes you build character in the furnace of affliction. Tough time. How do you build strong muscles? How do you build a strong cardio system? You've got to run. You've got, you've got to do something to get that heart pumping at a high rate, a rapid rate. How do you build muscles in your biceps, in your forearm, in your calves, in your thighs? You've got you to lift weights, don't you? You've got to work out. How then is that strength produced? By resistance. All Paul's saying is, tribulation, it'll build character. And what it can do is help you to acquire a persevering, enduring spirit. It's easy to give up. Matter of fact, a lot of folks do. A lot of folks throw in the towel and say, you know what, I've had enough. But rather than, rather than running from our trials, rather than resenting our trials, rather than recanting in the face of trial, why not resolve? Resolve to trust God more. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Turn back with me if you would. I mentioned Psalm 55 a moment ago. Go back and look, if you would, at Psalm 55 for a minute. In Psalm 55, David is talking about somebody who was his own equal, as he said in verse 13. He said, he was my companion, my acquaintance. He said, we took sweet counsel together. We walked to the house of God in the throng. So here's somebody who is very close to him. And yet, drop down and look at verse 20. Speaking of this same individual, he said, he's put forth his hands against those who were at peace with him. He's broken his covenant. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter. War was in his heart. His words were softer than oil yet they were drawn swords. Now look at verse 22. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Drop down, look at, chap look at chapter 56, Psalm 56. Here's what David said. Be merciful to me, O God, for man would swallow me up, fighting all day he oppresses me. My enemies would hound me all day, for there are many who fight against me, O Most High. Now listen to him. Whenever I am afraid, what will I do? David said, I will trust in you. In God, he said, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. And then he asked this question. What can flesh do to me? What did David do in the face of adversity? He resolved to do what? To trust God. Let me share one other verse with you. I mentioned this in Bible class this morning. I want to share it because I think it's really a great passage of Scripture. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 very quickly. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul is talking about the difficulties that he was facing. Some of the trials that confronted him in his ministry. And listen to what he says. 
We are hard-pressed on every side, verse 8, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Now think about that for a minute. Paul's saying here, we are hemmed in on every side, hemmed up. He said, even though we are hemmed in, we're not crushed. We are perplexed. Do we have all the answers? Absolutely not. Do we have questions in our mind? Yes, we do. But he said, we're not in despair. He said, we are persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We have been struck down, but we are not destroyed. Now again, go back and think with me for a moment or two about that boxer in the ring. And here's somebody going toe-to-toe in the ring, round after round after round. And what happens? Finally, finally, a punch is landed right square on the jaw. And what happens? Down to the mat. You can stay down or you can get up. Paul is saying, look, I was thrown to the mat. I was knocked to the ground, but I didn't stay down. Why? Because of his trust in God. The faith to withstand. Do you have that kind of faith? Do you have the kind of faith that can withstand whatever you face? Now, very quickly, think if you would about the budding of confidence, the blossoming of confidence. Listen to what Paul said. He said, perseverance is produced as a result of tribulation. Thereby, character is a byproduct of that, and then hope. And he said, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Paul is saying, as a child of God, what do we have? We have confidence. We have a sense of hope. Now, let me just very quickly define hope for you. When people talk about hoping for something, what do they typically mean? A lot of times folks will say, well, I hope that will come to pass. In their mind, what they're saying is, it might come to pass. Maybe it will take place. Potentially it will happen. That's not what Paul is saying here. Paul is talking about the kind of hope that is confident. Here is this sense of confidence that has been bred. That adversity, that trial, those difficulties have built within us a sense of character. And our faith in God is such that we have absolute hope in the Lord. So you think about the hope that's set forth in the Scriptures. Let me give you a couple of examples of what I'm talking about. When we talk about hope, Christian hope, let me look at it with you for a moment from the vantage point of the second coming of Christ. Look at Titus chapter 2 very quickly. Titus 2. When we talk about Christian hope. We're not talking about pie in the sky, hope so, maybe so, think so. We're talking about that which is absolutely sure, certain. Titus chapter 2, here's what Paul said. Verse 11, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness, worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Now look at verse 13. 
looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. When you think about the second coming of Christ, do we think the Lord's going to come? I mean, from the vantage point, we, you know, maybe he'll come. He might come. I hope he comes. Is there this air of uncertainty? No, that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, look, we are absolutely rock-solid certain that the Lord Jesus Christ will one day come again. That is Christian hope. Paul's saying, look, we are looking for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. He's saying without any hesitation, without any doubt, the Lord will come. So you think about the coming of Christ. Now, what about the confidence that we ought to have as a Christian? Can we have that same confidence? Well, Paul speaks of the hope that does not disappoint. If you're a child of God and you believe the Scriptures, you shouldn't be disappointed. You shouldn't be worried about the future. You shouldn't question whether or not God is there because He is. You remember the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 6 talked about which hope we have as an anchor of the soul? Listen to him. Both sure and steadfast. He's saying in the Lord, you have an anchor of the soul. You can trust him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul talks about how the outward man's perishing, the inward man's being renewed day by day. He said, we're not looking at the things which are seen, the things which are not seen, the things which are seen are temporary, the things which are not seen are eternal. In chapter 5, verse 1, he said, For we know, we know, that if the earthly house, this tabernacle, is dissolved, we have the building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And then here's what Paul said in Titus chapter 1, verse 2. He said that every child of God, we live in hope of life eternal. Is that maybe so, think so? No. Paul is simply saying, look, we are living in absolute, confident hope that we have eternal life. We know one day the Lord will come. The body will be, the body will be raised. It will be transformed. We have a building of God, and we're going to be at home with Him forevermore. That's confidence. So, I want to close tonight by asking you this question. Do you have the faith that will withstand? Whatever you face in life, look, who knows what the future holds? We know who holds the future. We just don't know what's on, what's on the horizon. But we can be absolutely certain that our faith can withstand the tests, the trials, the adversities of life if, if we allow God to help us build a strong faith. If you're here today, maybe you're not a Christian, could we urge you to come to Christ? Could we invite you to become a New Testament Christian? What would you need to do? Believe Jesus to be the Son of God? Repent of your sins, confess His name before others, be baptized? The Bible says that if we're baptized into Christ, all of our sins are washed away, Acts 22, 16. God puts us in the church, Acts 2, 47. If we're faithful till death, the promise is the crown of life. Maybe you're here tonight, maybe for whatever reason you're not what you ought to be as a Christian. You need the prayers of the church. Could we pray with you and for you? God will abundantly pardon as we, as we stand and sing.